Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And hello, we are back on Ayers on the Road. We are <laughs> on the roads on foot <laughs> this week. Ayers on the foot. Do you realize why obesity is much less prominent in highly urban areas, Linda, like London or yeah. like New York City. And especially France. Or in or in Paris, because people who live in cities walk a lot. <laughs> they have to, just to get to this to the tube stop or to the train station or to the bus stop or whatever. And uh, we are we are having a hard time keeping up with our highly pregnant daughter who now has 14 pounds of baby inside of her, two little seven Including two placentas, a lot of water. That we're, we are wondering when they will ever come. We've and been she, here now for four weeks. Well, two <laughs> Not weeks we in quarantine, Not that you know, we don't but love it. two weeks waiting. But um, I... We Every did, week on this show, we hope we can say announcement. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> next week for sure. But the um, she walks... Everywhere, I can't believe her. She just up and at him, walking all over. I, like for example, I've walked eleven thousand steps today. I'm sure she's walked more with than your I Apple have. Watch, and she's walked oh further. And she gets triple points because there's three of her. <laughs> right, exactly. We just but, finished doing as a family some some walk for water, a walk for water project where. Where people who every for every mile they walk, ten dollars is donated to this African charity that brings in water. And it's called Family so, Humanitarian. It's a wonderful, it's a charity. wonderful our charity. Our kids have been there and love it. And everyone in our family got involved. And I think charity at full pregnancy probably walked as far as anyone. No, we have a granddaughter that's on a cross country. Oh team. well, yeah, she, <laughs> she will. She, she ran, ran ran five or six <laughs> miles every every day, more eight, ten miles sometimes. So anyway, speaking of walking, we're glad to be sitting for a few minutes. We have a cute little apartment here. We're just at six minutes from their door. So we're waiting, but in, while we're waiting, we've been having a great time in London. Yeah, we're probably assuming too much. If oh, you're listening, wow. not every week, you probably don't know why we're here, but we're here awaiting the well, birth of me. these twins. But we've been here now going into our fifth week, and London's a dear spot for us. This is where we were mission president. This is where we live to write some of our books so we're so happy We've to be been back, back here so many times and our children have been here so many times this family's been here for almost six, six years. years almost six so years. in fact it's their anniversary today today they're six and we've been dying every day thinking this is the day but then last night she said no i don't i don't want to have two birthdays and an anniversary on the same day so not tomorrow but we thought for sure that would mean which today was which the day didn't persuade us at all because we had our first child on our first anniversary right but there weren't two we of think them. it's great <laughs> absolutely but we have been to the Tate Gallery, the Tate Britain, which we adore, and there's and nobody there. There's no one there. And It's a private museum tour. It's absolutely fabulous, and with masks, of course, and we don't need to worry about distancing because there's nobody no there. No one there. And then the Tate Modern, and um, almost no one there, too. It was easy to miss people. And then we went to... The Tower of London yesterday, and... 
We any other time we've been there, and if any of you have been there, you know the crowds are just oppressive, and there's long lines. There's bars set up, you know, the the labyrinth of bars or or straps that you go through to, to line before you get into any of the towers or the buildings. No one there. We just walked around. I mean, this. I'll tell you. The last time we saw the pandemic, crown jewels. There were a hundred thousand people in the heat, squashed together. It was miserable. That was about thirty years ago. That was a while ago. Now they have changed the order a little bit, and it's easier. But honestly, we could walk anywhere we wanted, and not be by anybody. So, if you're looking for silver linings, yeah, to this pandemic, go to museums where they only let in. We went to one where they only let in thirteen people an hour, and this is a museum that probably handles. Ten thousand people in a normal day, and so it's a great time to be in London. It's particularly great because we're so excited about the little boy and little girl, right? Who are soon to join our family, and the two little boys that are already there, four right. and two. They right. are a handful, adorable. They're so fun. This is our youngest daughter, our baby, our baby having babies. It's quite a quite a feeling. And thinking so much about family all during the week has led us to want to do the show today on something that we may have to persuade you is really related to everything we've been saying, but summer stories. We've enjoyed telling stories these last few weeks on the podcast, and it occurred to us that grouping some of the things we've had the chance to do with our children in the summertime over the years might be interesting. Our only hesitation doing it is some of it may sound a little outlandish to you and you may say, well, how can they possibly take all those kids to all those places? So we have to start off with a couple of disclaimers. Number one, we have a lot of frequent flyer miles. (laughs) Our speaking and traveling over the years has given us a bank account of of flying miles you would not believe and we had them early enough that we could use them constantly to take kids on airplanes to go to different places and because we're writers and we were sometimes working on a book or working on a project where it didn't matter one bit where we were we had opportunities to do some pretty wild things for the summer now there were some sacrifices because we were taking the kids away from their Little League Baseball and from some of the summer school things and other things that a lot of their friends were doing. But we always tried to give them the choice. It's like, do you want to stay here and play Little League Baseball or do you want to come with us to Romania? (laughs) (laughs) And they would usually say yes. So let's tell some summer stories. Linda, if you think back of the summers we've had, we always go to Bear Lake for part of them because that's where our family reunion is. But for many years, the the most biggest part of the summer, we were going somewhere, I was going to say exotic, maybe not exotic, but pretty far off the beaten path. Well, you know, in thinking about this, I think for the first few years, um, we, we were homebodies. We were having babies every other year. It was wild. There was a lot to do to keep us home because there were little yeah, tiny point, children. Good point. Then when we got back from England in 1979, we'd been there for three years. Um, we had some organizing of our lives to do, reorganizing and getting things in order. But we did have Bear Lake at that point. And I was just thinking about when we first went to Bear Lake, while we were gone, while we were in England, we sent $10,000 back to our son-in-law and said, 
do what you can with this to build a little A-frame. To your brother-in-law. On Yes. <laughs> on this little piece of land at Bear Lake, just build an A-frame. And just go as far as you can. When the money's done, just leave it and we'll finish it when we get home. Well, and you're right. So we always had Bear, Bear Lake was the only constant. But then we would try to find a place. We, we kind of had in mind that education or that travel was the best education and that we wanted to help our children become citizens of the world in the sense that they hadn't just been tourists in places. They'd actually lived in places for a little while. So let's just pick them one at a time, see how many we can get through. What's the first first summer you what what's the most sort of memorable summer that just pops into your mind straight away well going back to where i was um <laughs> memorable one was at bear lake because we ended up there with um and all nine of our kids they did have to leave a lot of things at home in salt lake but there were no walls in in that cabin that summer <laughs> That's a good story. Well, that's a good story, but I but no I'm, walls, no <laughs> stairs. But I'm trying to say no that doors happened every on the year. bathroom the door. The barely cap, but I'm talking about Japan and building the log cabin in Oregon and going to Romania and going to South America and the things we did that were in really different part of the world because we thought it would give the kids some perspective that they might not add otherwise. Right. I think we started that. But, like, but then, okay, let's go on. Let's go on. Well, Bear Lake um, is kind of like a foreign country if you count Montpelier, Idaho. Right. <laughs> Where I was born and raised and which I love dearly. Um, there were a lot of wonderful adventures that we had in summers. And um, luckily the kids were out of school. There was no year-round school in those days, so we could take everybody. And um, we did take babies sometimes. Um, we did decide one summer to build a cabin in, in Oregon. Let's tell that story real quickly. We'd been to Pioneer Village at Lagoon, which is an amusement park of all things in Utah, where just by chance, the cabin of my great-great-grandfather, Erastus Bingham, had been preserved and transferred to this site. And the cabin was 30 feet, no, 24 feet by 20 feet with a loft. And we were so fascinated with that. And we had an opportunity to go to some land we'd acquired in Oregon, in the Blue Mountains of Oregon. And we spent a summer cutting down trees, building a log cabin as a family to try to, try to replicate the same size and the same look of this pioneer cabin. And there were days, honestly, Linda, especially early on, we had a friend who went to help us at first and we started out living in a teepee, an Indian, a real genuine bona fide Indian teepee while we cut the first logs and notched them and started building this, this cabin. And there were days when I looked at you and said, what have we gotten ourselves into? We were 30 miles from the nearest town we had, <laughs> we, you had never camped a day in your yeah, life. Yeah, I, I was dumb enough <laughs> that I did not know what I was getting into. But actually, we had so much fun. We had a campfire. We, found, we had a spring, and we PVC piped water in for our refrigerator. It was this hole that we used for a refrigerator. We, had, uh, we went into town once a week, and... Uh, Actually, we went to the swimming, the public swimming pools, and stood in the showers for about 
15 <laughs> minutes before we went in because we were got all resupplied. so dirty. But we got resupplied and went back up again. Um, it really was a, a marvelous The kids experience. loved it from day one. I mean, it was an old growth forest. It was like a primeval forest. Some of the trees were six feet in diameter. It was, un if you've ever seen the per first part of the movie, The Last of the Mohicans, that's what it looked like there. And it was really just incredible. And once we got the, the, the logs up high enough to move in, and to start sleeping there and putting the kids up in the loft and so on. It really got fun. We didn't finish it at the end of the summer. We had to go back. Remember the first summer we had eight of our nine kids. Eli, our eighth, was a little boy, a little was baby. a one-year-old, maybe 14 Who months. rolled in the dirt every day. Oh, every morning he looked like he'd been <laughs> rolled in honey and then rolled in the dirt. And we had to go back another summer and finish it. And, and when it was finished, it was really, I mean... I've never had such a collective sense because the kids really helped. We we needed them. Oh they had gosh. to help. We couldn't lift the logs. We had them. to skin logs. We had thirty logs brought in, right? And then we had to cut down our own logs and and skin them. So I was skinning like when you pick raspberries when you're a kid. You know, you go close your eyes and all you can see is raspberries. Yeah. All I could see at night was those crazy <laughs> logs, skinning logs. It was amazing. But the kids really put their shoulder to the wheel and they worked hard. It was fun. It really was. Let's shift gears. Another summer, very different. We had the chance to go to Japan and live for, for most of the summer and to live. We had a friend there that was crazy enough to allow all of us to stay in their house. And we wanted the kids to experience that Asian mentality and that Japanese experience. And wow, was that an amazing time. Oh, it was amazing. Learning the tea ceremony. Um, this woman that hosted us was incredible. Her husband was basically living in Poland, and so she had a big a tatami room for the girls, a big tatami room for the boys, and a little room for us. And then they had a whole different floor. And it was so fabulous. They were absolutely crazy. Oh, time's times. flying. Let's take a brief break. Let's come back. More summer stories. We're going to work a lot of them into the second half of this show. So hang on. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back, Ayers on the Road. We're talking about summer stories today. Strange things the Ayer family has done during the summer and not suggesting you try to replicate it, but thinking you'll find some interest in it. And maybe you'll do even more interesting things for much less hassle. <laughs> <laughs> With a lot fewer children, maybe, hopefully. Um, because we did want to do this while our kids were home. We really did the basic core of these while everybody was home, which was a little crazy. But um, Just incidentally, one thing we learned by chance one time on a flight, getting on a plane with nine kids and trying to find that many seats together was always a challenge. And again, we're using frequent flyer miles most of the time, so we'd get in on the act a little late. And one time they totally messed up our totally ruined our reservation and they had seats for all of us but no two seats were together and we thought oh my gosh this will be a disaster it was the best flight we'd ever oh, had oh it was fabulous <laughs> none of our kids Every... dared, dared act out when they were sitting by strangers <laughs> nobody sat by <laughs> another child so they were just 
really lost on how to misbehave and they just had to be good. They, they really, need each other to really go they off do, they on do, misbehaving. Yeah. So we suggest that if you want to give it a try. Um, but it really was where we were into Japan and we'll just finish that up. We this Our hostess was so fabulous. She uh, saw that we got to uh, the temples, the beautiful temples. She saw that our kids got to school for a half day. Yeah. Uh, we had to have, I had scrubbing shoes, inside and outside shoes um, all night. But they learned so much about school in Japan. It was amazing what happened even in just one day. Except well, that we, it was half day for one of the kids and we didn't know, so she got left. <laughs> that was really sad. But anyway, she survived. But, and negotiating Tokyo was an experience. I mean, ever since, some of them say, hey, you know, these cities we're going to now are nothing compared to Tokyo. I mean, you should see how many people they get on their subway trains. Right. <laughs> and calligraphy. She taught the kids how to do calligraphy as much as they could, the older ones, and also um, sand paintings in a beautiful palace. Oh, my gosh, that was so scary. I had a three-year-old running around there. You know, batting is batting her hands on things, and I was dying. I was so glad to get out of there because it was so quiet and proper and beautiful. We we but, lived in a town where the big Buddha, the biggest Buddha in the world, is um, Kamakura. Kamakura, and of course we went to Kyoto and other places. A wonder, wonderful summer, and we we didn't feel like we were tourists by the end. We felt like we lived there, like the kids could walk around and get around and. When we um, knew a lot of the neighbors. We... And it was the first time we'd ever ordered food. You could order food. There's no way I could go to the grocery store and haul home all the stuff because we didn't have a car. Yeah. So um, it was the whole neighborhood came out to see us gather up our food <laughs> once a week. They <laughs> thought it was such a circus. One and neighbor was. was an executive in, in Dotson and took all the kids to the assembly line for automobiles. It was We could go on and on, but let's shift. Yeah. Another summer we went to Romania. Part of the reason for that is that we had had a daughter who had served a mission there. And the younger kids had gone with us to pick, uh, when we went to pick her up, we coupled it with a, at least, were we there a month or a little more in an orphanage in the Transylvanian part of Romania. And that was, how can we explain that? That was an awful experience, which was an incredible experience yeah, at the amazing. same time. it was amazing. Our kids fell in love with those little kids. And some of them were really very um, uh, handicapped. I, I don't know if that's appropriate to say, but special needs, definitely. But some had just been dropped off by their parents because they couldn't afford to feed them. This was just after the walls went down, just when things were changing all over Eastern Europe. And it was truly amazing. Our kids loved that. The food was hard, I have to say. All there was on the menu was Shopska salad and soup. <laughs> and, um, and one of our kids was so sad because we made him eat his dinner and there was a cockroach in him. We didn't know. <laughs> There was. Wow, anyway, that's a detail. He still I'd remembers forgotten. that. He still remembers that. I had forgotten. But we were able to do some humanitarian work. We painted that little orphanage, and we we. But the main thing I think our kids contributed is they became the little ones, especially really good friends with these kids who had nothing in common with them. But by the end of the trip, they found a lot of things they had in common. Yeah, it's amazing how much you don't need language when you're dealing with children. 
Um, we did some joy school activities with these little children. It was so fascinating, and we could go another whole half hour on that. Another summer, we went to Mexico, and, and not to a part that we had ever been to before. We went down by the Yucatan, down in the southern part of Mexico, and helped to build a school, and that was a great experience. It was. We had such a good time. Um, we actually went to Mexico twice, but the, the one that I remember most was where it was in a village with mostly a big family. Yeah. And it started with the grandma, grandmother and grandfather who, whom we adored. And they were in their 80s, but they were generations and generations beyond that. And it was incredible to hear their stories, to see how they lived. Our kids uh, shadowed one of the kids their age. Uh, for one whole day. Just went right with them, so, did everything they did. One was sitting by a teenage girl that was making tortillas all morning from 8 until 12, you know, for the rest of the day. Another one was doing dishes. Another one was doing laundry. Another was, you know, uh, playing with the little kids. It really was amazing for them to know what these children did every single day. And I think by the end of the day, they were really glad that they <laughs> could go home at the end. Sometimes these trips in the summer even started a little before school was out or went on a little after school had started. We took some flack for that, but remember that little motto developed in the family and the kids kind of took advantage of this as the years went by. We almost wish we'd never started saying it, but the motto was never let school get in the way of your education. <laughs> and the idea was that real education comes not so much just traveling through places, but experiencing them and trying to live there. And we, we really tried hard to do that, maybe to excess, maybe yeah, we probably, did it well, too much. But the, the thing was, you were writing all the time. I was writing part-time, but, but we could do, live anywhere we wanted because we, if we had paper and pencil. And we didn't even have computers when we started this. But a lot of people have jobs, and they can't do that, although in the summertime it's a little easier because kids are out of school. But we found that it was a remarkable education. And we're talking about these parents now. We're talking to a lot of them who have children home from school all day. They're yeah, homeschooling yeah, their kids right. all day. And education is, is totally different than what it used to be right. six months ago. It's, it's remarkable that you can do things that you thought you could never do. And, but you are doing it. And we have a daughter who's saying, hey, we don't have to be in school from such such, and my husband can work from anywhere um, because actually he's working from the computer. Yeah, <laughs> and so we can, we can go places. But you know, That's not, a good point, Linda. Some people are actually traveling and changing where they live for a little while right now because the kids aren't in school and because the, the, the parents are working online and they right. literally can do it from anywhere. Right. It's, well, not anywhere because the airlines yeah, are hard. <laughs> well, if they can get there and if they have uh, yeah. good Wi-Fi. You yeah, know. that you got to have good Wi-Fi to do that. But it, there are some things that you can do that you could never have done last year this time. But back on the expense part, I'm kind of stuck on this. I don't want anyone to think we, we somehow had a golden egg Millions that of was dollars, no. allowing us to do this. But, you know, air, airfares are the one thing... You know, when we were in graduate school and we used to fly home from Boston to Salt Lake, the airfares were actually higher than they are now. Now you can, if you get bargains and if you shop around and if you use points use on miles, your card yeah. and use miles, airfare is actually less expensive 
on average, at least in our experience, than it was 40 or 50 years ago. So you can get places, even if you're bringing a bunch of kids with you. And the kind of places we're talking about, you almost end up breaking even because it costs you nothing to live there. I mean, if you're doing a humanitarian expedition, if you're living in a third world country, you may not love the accommodations. But and, and by the way, speaking of Mexico, Linda, we, you mentioned that we went back two different summers. And the other one, we didn't, we weren't doing any sort of humanitarian thing. We just thought, let's just go live in, in Jalisco, which is a, a province where Guadalajara is on the, on the west coast. And part of it is we knew how beautiful it was. And it was one of the most beautiful summers we've ever had. We lived in two really small little condos. But we had a little pool there, and we had a little village that we the kids could circulate around and get um, really familiar with the, the local kids. Yeah, the local kids came, <clears throat> came over to swim. We had one little girl who got to be such good friends, but she came in the same dress every day. And the last day we said, now, tomorrow we're going to have a swimming party, so wear your swimming suit. And she came in the same dress. Yeah. And we realized, oh, she doesn't have anything. So she jumped in in a dress. She yeah. did. But she doesn't have anything else to wear. So yeah, there were so many interesting things to learn from. And th- th- that's the one where I have the most vivid memories of our kids because they could circulate. It's a safe little village, and they could go out and mingle and find people. And even though they didn't speak Spanish, they picked up some Spanish by the end of the time. But Not very much. A little. But they, they, the point is they didn't need land. They, we learned the lesson we've learned so many times since then that children don't need to speak the same language to, to become friends. You put them in the same place and leave them alone for a while, they become friends. And what I remember about, you reminded me with the story of that little girl on the flight on the way home, little Sadie, who I think was eight. Does that sound about right? About, yeah. Uh, And we were talking and I said to her on the plane, Sadie, what did you you learn in in all that time we spent living in Mexico? And she looked at me and had a little tear and she said, Dad, I learned you don't have to have shoes to be happy. Yeah, that was really a great lesson. And then six months later, she wanted some more new shoes. <laughs> yeah, it only lasts for about six months, and you got to let it. You, you got to get going, going again. But um, but I do think that that was really a marvelous experience for our kids. We had no car, and we we rented horses for a dollar a horse yeah, for yeah. for a couple of hours, and we would go down through the village, and we thought we'd go down through the village to see what what it was like and so on. But it turned out that we were a parade because everybody was actually they were watching, watching us. us. We were watching them. Another summer, we went to Wales. Now we'd lived in England before, but Wales is a different country. <laughs> And we lived oh, on the so ragged, beautiful. Yeah. the ragged seacoast of, of Western Wales, and in a little house up above the cliffs. And it was a neat little village. Again, the kids, we tried to pick places that weren't too big and that the kids could explore. And that was a memorable summer in one sad way, because that's the summer I think you lost your mom. Yeah, I... I left. Linda uh, came home and then returned. We were picking up a missionary from London and just kind of waiting for him to finish. But I went home and and some of our kids had not come yet, so some of us spent the funeral with her and so on. But then, yeah, I think we had six of our kids though in Wales that whole time, and it was really a an exciting time for them. And 
it's sort of increased our sort of conviction as a family that we are we're Anglophiles. We love the British Isles. Oh man, we do love this place. It is so fabulous. Oh, the the cheeses, the food, the uh, we know we just we rejoice. We love in every coming part back, of it. But um, if you, but so many things. if and when you're planning a trip to England, just a little advice. Don't go to London and say you've been to England. Go to London. London's Fabulous, arguably yeah. the greatest city in the world, but it's when you get out into the countryside or when you get over to Wales and when you get up into Ireland and up into Scotland that you really start feeling like, wow, wow I'm really wow. here. It's quite a place. And the children can gain, and have, traveling with children will make you see things that you would not see if you were by yourself. Right. Now we're just starting on a book to collect all these stories, which is so fun. We hope that we haven't bored you and that you will join us again next time. Do, do wild things with your kids. You can do it. Good luck. Here's on the road next time. <laughs> Bye-bye.